Hey everyone, this is Chad, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thank you for taking time to listen to my latest sermon. It will play in just a minute. Before it does, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast. This is the best way to make sure that you know when we upload new content, and we have some exciting new audio content in the works. You won't want to miss it, so make sure to subscribe. Also, if you find these sermons valuable, please consider leaving us a rating or review on your podcast host. This helps our sermons be heard by more people, and we think that's really important. And finally, if God uses this sermon to impact you, please let me know. All you have to do is email respond at creekside.me, and I'd love to know how God used my words in your life. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Well, good morning, everybody. Again, uh, if you are a person that's been here for a long time, then you already know this about me. Uh, If you are new to our church, then you don't. When I was nine years old, um, I went through... A, a custody battle. I lived with my mom until the time I was nine years old, and then uh, th- things weren't so great, and and my dad filed for custody, and so there was this period of time, which I honestly don't know how long it lasted, but it, it seemed like as a nine-year-old it lasted forever, I, you know? I mean, as I look back on it, it, it probably was just a handful of months of my uh, 35-ish years of life, but but it it seemed like such a giant chunk of my life, such a such a long period of my life. And during that time, uh, things, as you can imagine, were difficult on me. It seems like you know, looking back, when two parents are fighting for you, you should take it as a compliment. But when you're in the midst of it, it's not. At least both of them weren't saying like you take him. You know, I mean, that's not as good, and that happens. Um, but but it's this, it's this uh, this turmoil, and and I, I would have these awful stomach aches. My cousin Marla's here actually today and, and she made me jello that was like unset once. I remember, she remembers too because my stomach was just in such knots. I don't even know if that works. It's giving me sugar seems like a terrible idea, Marla, but it really helped me at the time and I appreciate that. And, and uh, it was just this time that felt like I was in the middle of this battle and I would go to school and not know if I was going to, you know, be talked to by a teacher, observed by somebody from the court, and I didn't know if I would be followed by a private investigator, and I didn't know if I would be talking in court the next day sometimes, and uh, it it was, it was intensely uh, difficult and stressful time in my life, and you, you can imagine in my family's lives in general, and and, and during that time, the way that my life kind of went is my mom, because I lived with her, would bring me would, to my grandma's house, and then I would stay with her for a little bit because my mom went to work before I needed to go to school, and then my grandma uh, would take me to school. And, and uh, as this kind of all unfolded, my great-grandma, who lived with my grandparents uh, before she died, uh, she, in the middle of all of it, every day with me, 
as I walked out of the house to go to school, would say these two psalms with me. And uh, the first one, Psalm 42, 8, it, it hasn't been so impactful in my life. I don't know if I just didn't like it as much or what. But Psalm 42, 8 says, By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life forever is how we would say it. Uh, but the one, and you know, if you've ever heard me give my testimony, if you've ever heard me talk about my life up to this point, then, then this next one you've heard me talk about, I've, I, if you've been with me in the midst of a difficult situation, if I've ever counseled you when you're going through a difficult situation, life's hard, these are the two verses, Psalm 94, 18 and 19, these are the two verses that I will, I will consistently talk about. When my life is difficult, when things are hard, when I don't feel in control anymore, when, when it hurts too bad and I just don't know what to do with the pain, these are the verses that I've always come back to from, from those moments as a nine-year-old walking out to go to Kennedy Elementary and my great-grandma saying, let's say the verses together. And, and Psalm 94, 18 and 19 says, when I feel my foot slipping, your faithfulness, O Lord, supports me. And when I am filled with cares, your reassurance soothes my soul forever. As a nine-year-old kid, let me just tell you this, and this is true for all of us, but especially as a nine-year-old kid, finding the words to express your fear, to express your struggles, to express even your confidence in God, which I think I, I had to some degree as a nine-year-old, finding the words to express all that you're feeling and dealing with is, is, is impossible. But here's what made those, those verses so profound to me. Psalms speak to us like all of the Bible, but more importantly to this series, Psalms speak for us. Psalms speak to us, but also Psalms, the book of Psalms speak to, for us. And this makes the book of Psalms and what's written in the 150 chapters there different in large part from every other book in all the Bible. We know that the Bible speaks to us. If we're Christians, if we're Bible believers at all, we're like, this thing has something to say to me. Even if you're not a Christian or Bible-believing person, you probably quote the Bible at certain points, some of the big verses, you know, like you think that we should love others as we love ourselves. That's been spoken to you. Those are Jesus' words, whether you knew that or not. And, and, and we, we know that the Bible speaks to us, but what makes the Psalms so incredible is that they speak for us. And so we're going to look at over the next four weeks, starting this morning and four sermons after today, the importance of these Psalms and how they speak to us, but even more how they speak for us. But before we, we kind of launch into that, I think we should all be on the same page about what the Psalms are, right? And if you're in here for the first time and you are like, I don't know what he's saying, that's a word that's foreign to me. Well, the Psalms is this book in the Old Testament, the first part of our Bibles, and it's a very unique book for a lot of different reasons. One, I've already said, there's 150 chapters. Now, if you Think of a chapter, you know, if you're not a Bible person, like, like you think of something longer. But a chapter can be like a couple of verses in the book of Psalms, or it can be fairly long. But it's 150 of these, which, you know, I don't know what the second longest is. I didn't look that up, but somebody here might know it. But it's not nearly 150 chapters 
long. Another thing that makes it really unique is that it's written by multiple authors. We think of David, who had just finished a sermon series about having written the Psalms most of the time. In fact, I think I've at least heard one person say, well, David said in a Psalm, but David didn't actually write the Psalm. We just kind of make that association. Uh, But he wrote in the 70s of these 150 uh, amount of the Psalms. But, But there's different authors throughout the Psalms, and it makes it kind of unique because it has this different flavor and uh, these different ideas and these different uh, poems, really. Uh, Another thing that's weird about it and and makes it uh, different in how we approach it, part of the reason I think we use it, is that there's no really logical order or progression to the book. And Some people try to outline the book of Psalms, and the book of Psalms itself contains what's called these books. There's four of them, and it just is these subsections of the book of Psalms. Uh, but, But they don't really have any kind of uniting theme or, or idea, or you might say, well, is there a section about David's Psalms? And the answer is no. Like book one, there's really nothing that connects book one, book two, there's five of them. Sorry, I said four. Book one, book two, book three, book four, and, four, and five. There's nothing that really ties these things together, but it is split into these five books. Interestingly, I don't know if you'll care about this, but I found this interesting. A lot of people credit these sections, these five books as they're called, to Ezra, who's a famous leader in the Old Testament. And some people say that he made them five to kind of line up with the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. But uh, we don't know if that's true. Uh, another thing that's, that's just fascinating about the Psalms, and I think is part of the reason that, that we are able to use the Psalms, is that there's, there's kind of five kinds of Psalms, and uh, they would be these right here. Lament or complaint, royal Psalms, thanksgiving Psalms, wisdom Psalms, and mixed type Psalms. And I will talk about that in just a minute, but you can kind of just even in the titles, these titles that that Bible scholars have given them, you can kind of see that they vary and they line up often with our life experiences. And then this last part, the Psalms are, and this is so different than most of the Bible, the Psalms are primarily songs. They're musical. That's why this sermon series is called Sacred Songs, because the Psalms are primarily musical. Uh, many of the chapters of the Psalms, if you've ever read them, you know this, they start with like like a song or set to the melody of or something to that effect to say, hey, here's what the musicians are supposed to play with this psalm. It's one of the reasons that we're going to sing some new songs in this series because we, we're going to see that we should come back, I think, to singing these psalms once again. That song that we just sang at the end, that you're probably like, what is this? Why was there no introduction? From Psalm 45. If you didn't recognize the words, then you need to read the psalms more. And then you would have known what that song was. Don't blame the musicians. Blame yourself for not reading the psalms often enough. <laughs> right? Uh, that's just an older song. Uh, for those of you who want old songs, well, we did one. It's really really, really old. Uh, the, the Hebrew word, this translated psalm, actually means like melody, and it's connected to musical instruments, and then you read the psalms, and they're very poetic, which doesn't come out in English. It comes out much more clearly in Hebrew. Uh, I would bring that out for you, but again, I'm a D-minus student in Hebrew, and so it's a little difficult for me to see the poetry of the psalms. Funny enough story, I told somebody I got a D-minus in Hebrew, uh, a student, I was subbing for Matt at, in his class, and, and I said, I got a D-minus in Hebrew, and, and then they said, so you know Hebrew? 
no. <laughs> I think I don't know Hebrew. <laughs> That's what my professor would tell you. And so we see these, this book is, is just unique in its makeup. Its very makeup is, is really, really unique. But what makes it so cool, and, and in all of that, kind of how there's different types of psalms and how it's different authors and how it's so many chapters and it doesn't really have an order or a, a strict structure, all of that really sets the psalms apart in this very, I think, unique and powerful way. And that is that while we read much of the Bible, we use the psalms. You know that, right? Like, I mean, it's just kind of how we approach the Psalms if we're Bible people. Like, yeah, I should read the Bible, but the Psalms, I'm really going, it's just easy. Like, I'm going to use them because they align with my life because there's so many situations that they were written into because, because I can find one. There's so many of them that, that I like and that aligns with my life. And uh, you could probably find one that you can memorize. Many of you probably have at least one of them memorized and you can pull on it and come back to it. It makes them, this book, kind of all this unique structure and, and uh, writing style and all of it, it makes this unique book that not only we read, but we really want to, we desire to use the book of Psalms. Even, even people who don't like the Bible seem to want to use the book of Psalms. And throughout the history of God following, from the beginning of human, from the beginning of, of when David writ, wrote them, excuse me, until today, like literally this Sunday, the Psalms have been used by people who are striving to, to live for God and to be obedient to Him in all aspects of their lives. I mean, David wrote the Psalms and, and they became kind of this personal prayer book and then, and then the Psalms was a, a, uh, a, a really uh, important part of temple worship. And, and so the, the, the people in their church services, to put it in our vernacular, they would read the Psalms and then that transferred to the synagogues where which like local bodies of believers and God, Jewish people who would gather for the purpose of worship. It would become this, this it became this book that they used in their corporate worship and then if you move forward in the early church, and we'll really see this in the passages we'll look at, the Psalms were the primarily, primary songbook for what the early church sang. Interestingly enough, and we'll talk about this more, for much of the church's history, they were the only songs that many parts of the church used in their musical expression of worship. And right up until today, uh, the Psalms will be used in churches and in fact uh, if you were to go to a more liturgical church than our own a, a church that kind of has this order like a, a Lutheran church then you would quite quickly hear them turn to the Psalms and read a Psalm they read a Psalm every single day really but especially on Sundays and it all points to the fact that the Psalms is this book that we use because the Psalms is a book that doesn't just speak to us, it also speaks for us. And here's the other really unique part of this deal. 
when you look to the New Testament, you see how important the Psalms were to these people. And, and here's, let me just give you the reason that, that we're doing this and, and we're going to talk about this for four weeks. It's because I think there's this problem in modern Christian circles where we've kind of sat the Psalms aside, much of the Old Testament really, but the Psalms in particular. And when we look to the New Testament and see the ways in which they used the Psalms, how the Psalms spoke for them, I hope that it's going to draw us to a place where we are a church that loves the Psalms. And let the Psalms speak for us. Let me just give you a couple of examples, and, and this is kind of broad points, and then we're going to look specifically at, at kind of how these things work. But the early church, it, they just turned to the Psalms to express truths about God. We'll see that many of the Psalms point to Jesus, and that's a part of what happened in early Christian circles, the Psalms being used to talk about Jesus. But, but even more than that, you can look at the doxologies, which is the parts of Paul's letters where he just breaks out in these worshipful phrases, and they sound an awful lot, even if they're not direct quotes, like Psalms. In fact, the Psalms are quoted at least, and there's differing opinions about how many times, but at least is the low number that I saw, 81 times in the New Testament and they're alluded to over 100 times in the New Testament more than any other book except maybe Isaiah depending on who you're talking to uh, the early writers of the New Testament and the early followers of Jesus when they were looking to talk about who Jesus was and what Jesus had done they turned to the Psalms to say look here's what Jesus is like and what Jesus has done they turn to the Psalms in their prayers. In Acts 4, 25 and 26, one of the first recorded prayers for the early church. I mean, they directly quote the Psalms. They used the Psalms to form their prayers. And in fact, if you look at the prayers in the New Testament, a lot of them contain kind of a similar outline to what happens in the book of Psalms, chapter to chapter in the outline of how those people expressed their worship and their sadness and their hope and all of these things towards God. The Psalms, as I've already said, were used to musically express worship. And then the Psalms, and this is where I think it's just... This is why we like them. The Psalms were used to express their deepest emotions. And that's what makes Psalms just so so cool. Is that, that it's emotional. Where some of the Bible we read it and it's just theological and you can't feel the emotion. But in Psalms, if you can't feel the emotion, then really you don't know how to read a book. And so this morning we're going to look at, at, at one passage over the next four weeks, we're going to look at, at five passages that, that show us how the Psalms were used and how the early Christians allowed for the Psalms to speak for them. And I hope that we'll, we'll just start to do the same. That's really the hope here. And, and so the first thing we look at is Colossians 3, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 17. And in Colossians 3, Paul said some really big stuff before he gets to verse 15. He's like, hey, set your mind on things above because you've been raised with Christ. This idea that when Jesus rose again and we place our faith in that resurrection, it's like we have new life. And we've talked about that in a whole sermon series, our new life in Christ. And, and so Paul's like, since you have new life, set your mind on things above in heaven where Jesus is seated. 
And then he's like, remove evil from your life. And he lists a whole bunch of kinds of evils. And then he's like, add Christian virtues to your life. And he lists some of those too. And he uses this clothing metaphor. Take off the bad, put on the good because you're a new creation in Christ. That's all really big stuff. And all stuff is Christians we talk about and we think about. We all know that Jesus rose from the grave. We all know that we have new life in Jesus. If we're Christians, we all really think we should stop doing bad things and start doing good things. We're all totally down with that. But then Paul transitions to chapter 3, 15 through 17. And I don't think it's things we think about. It's not things we take as, as solid commands like we do don't commit adultery, right? Or, or be kind. We don't, we, don't even, we don't even think about this. And I think it's time that we return to thinking about this. In Colossians 3.15, this is where it begins. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Uh, need enough, the Greek word translated rule, can also be translated umpire the idea is that the peace that jesus brings the peace that jesus creates in us and around us it should be the referee or the umpire of of our lives of all of our decision making um i, I i've been thinking about Derek warnier who was a friend of mine when i was a kid that that has uh, since passed away um talked about him when i spoke at, at a school on friday but uh, i was I think I was thinking about him Friday because I was thinking about him for this sermon. And the only fight I've ever been in my whole life was with Derek Warnier. It didn't last very long. He put me in a headlock. We were fourth graders. And then a teacher came over and saved my life. Um, I think I could have taken him if I could have ever got out of the headlock. But I was kind of stuck. And, and the reason that we got into this little tiff uh, is because we were playing basketball at recess, which we did pretty much every single day if we weren't playing football at recess. And I don't even know what happened, but I'm sure we disagreed about something. And then words were exchanged. There was no referee. There was nobody to umpire what was happening. Same thing when I was a kid. There's this pattern in my life, and uh, I'm a little calmer now. But when I was a kid, my best friend, Eric Myers, who lived across the street from me, um, this game ended, and I was mad at him for some reason, and I was walking off. And I don't know why I was walking off in this story, because he was sitting by my house. But I was walking off, and I had the basketball, and I just chucked it at his head. Uh, there was nobody to referee. There was nobody to umpire. And what Paul says here is that the peace that Christ brings should be the umpire of your life. It should be the barometer through which all of your decisions are made specifically because we see this corporately it's written to a church in Colossae and we see this uh this plural language in this section that we're looking at today this is talking about the decisions that we make between each other as a church the peace of Christ should be the umpire of them sadly and this is just a side note but sadly we know that that's not often the case in our church I have been so blessed to be the pastor here because in uh, really all of my time, the peace of Christ, I think, has, in fact, ruled. Uh, I, I believe that 
that we have a great church in this regard. Uh, I, I believe that we have a great church because we have allowed for peace to kind of be our decision making. We have, we have been a church with unity and love and we care about each other. And even when we disagree with each other about things, we have not let that become a problem. But we know that in a lot of churches, bad things happen and it's in large part because the peace of Christ has not been uh, the umpire and he says, why? He says, since as members of one body, as a church, we're, one, we're part of the same body. We're part of Jesus' body. We become his body. There should be this unity and this love that's between us. And it, and it should just drive everything. And he ends it by saying, and be thankful. And the reality is we know this, that both peace and unity come when we are people that are thankful. And the Psalms help us with that. We'll see that in a minute, the connection that's made. But let's just have it in our heads right now. We should be people of peace. There should be unity in our church. And all of that is being should be driven by our thankfulness to God. When churches, I think, start to fight, when Christians begin to have uh, tension between them, is when we forget that we ought to be magnificently thankful for all that God has done for us. We know that we have so much to be thankful for if we're Christians. The fact that God stepped out of heaven, he came to earth, he died because of all of the bad things that we have done and he got out of a grave so that we could have forgiveness and life and all of the things that we look forward to in heaven. And when we let something besides thankfulness become the, the, the centerpiece of what we do, then we're just gonna mess and there's going to be fighting and what is said next is not going to take place I do this thing uh, once a year it's sad that I only do this once a year but what I'm about to say on Thanksgiving I, I try to pray without asking for anything and it's really difficult to do I just try to thank God for everything and if you've ever tried this you'll know how it goes you're like I'm thankful for my family oh yeah but help Uncle Bob, you know, and, and he really needs some help, and, and especially because we're about to have Thanksgiving dinner, and so could you just really work on Bob in the next 45 minutes before they show up? You know what I mean? And, and then you just fall back to like asking God for things. But it's this healthy thing that I do because it reminds me to just be thankful to God for what he's given us. And when we're thankful, I think we'll find unity with others and peace peace that transcends all understanding as Paul says it in another place and now he turns his attention uh, to something that helps with that in verse 16 let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom the message of Christ is is uh, seen in a couple of different ways but really I think we should see it as the message about Christ the gospel story that I just told you that God was in heaven he looked down he saw that we are sinners who are guilty who are destined for an eternity in hell he stepped out of heaven in the person of Jesus he died on a cross for those sins and he rose again and here Paul says be thankful and the next line is let the message of Christ dwell richly or abundantly in you and the reality is it's hard not to be thankful when we let the message about Jesus fill us and surround us and cover us and guide us when we think constantly about all that God has done through us in Jesus. It's hard not to be thankful. And I'll tell you, we, we really are, are good in Christian circles about at least talking about avoiding bad and doing good, the things that Paul's already said. 
But now I think, like, are we, do we really, do we really just let the message of Christ, like, fill us abundantly surround our lives? I mean, let's just, I'll just ask a question, a question that I, that I think about for myself um, in statement form, but I'm going to ask it to you. Like, how often do you just talk about Jesus? Probably not a lot, right? Like, how normal is it for you just to, just to say, like, man, I'm just, I'm just thankful Jesus died for me, or how cool is Jesus, or I just want to serve Jesus more. Like, how normal is that? How normal of a part of your life is that? And if it's not a normal part of your life, then is the message about Jesus really dwelling abundantly in you? I don't know. But I think it's extremely important. Let the message about Jesus just cover you and overflow from you and guide you and surround you. And as you do that, there's these two commands that we're supposed to do to each other, and it's teach and admonish. Teach and admonish. You know what teaching is, right? I mean, that's a pretty simple one. Admonishing is kind of the emotional side of education. So if, I, if you've ever had a professor like I have had that stood up there and stated the facts, he was teaching. Admonishing is, is when somebody gets up and states the facts and makes you feel like you want to do something different because of them, right? Uh, it's the emotional side. Most oftentimes that word in the New Testament is, is translated in a, in a uh, negative sense, like it's translated worn oftentimes, and, uh, but it's really the emotional side. And so we're commanded to do these two things for each other, to each other, for each other within our church. Teach each other and admonish one another. Encourage each other to live out those teachings. Inspire each other to live out those teachings. And this isn't said to pastors. This isn't said to teachers or apostles or prophets as Paul sometimes talks about this kind of, these teaching gifts and these, these leadership roles within the church. This is just to you, people that are a part of a church. You need to be teaching and admonishing one another, teaching people and encouraging people to live out those teachings or to do something with those teachings. With all wisdom. In 1.9, we're told, the Colossians 1.9, to pray for wisdom. In 2.3, we find that wisdom is found in Jesus. It's an important thing. I mean, anybody can teach and admonish. The question is, are you doing it in all wisdom? Are you actually teaching and admonishing things that are good, that are in line with the character and the nature of God and, and Jesus? And you say, I, I would hope. I mean, if you're paying attention, you're like, that's a pretty big role. Maybe one you're not fulfilling. We all, every single one of us who are part of this church, have a responsibility to teach and admonish other people in our church in all wisdom. Now, I can just, I can just hear it, right? Like, well, how, how am I going to do that? Like, a lot of you are just going to default to, well, I don't know the Bible well enough. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know how I would do that. Or, or they're way smarter than me anyway. 
Chuck Canary goes to our church now, uh, and he is the dean of students for the seminary at George Fox. Like, what am I going to offer Chuck, right? I mean, Chuck has uh, actually been asked to speak where the 95 Thesis was nailed to the wall because it's the anniversary of the Christian Reformation. Okay, Chuck, I got something for you. You know, like, what, how, how's that going to go? Like, who, who's here is going to be the one that's like, hey, I'm going to teach Chuck. You know, I mean, how's that going to look? And here's, here's what's so cool. What Paul says in the next part, it, it takes it from this command that's, that I think scary and difficult but important to this thing that we can all do. Every one of us can do what Paul says next. He says, teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as the message about Jesus is just filling you up. Teach and admonish each other with all wisdom. Colossians 3.16 is a surprise. I think it's not what you'd expect. Through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Through psalms, like... Here's what I expect. Teach and admonish one another by making sure you get educated really, really well or by getting a seminary degree or by learning a whole bunch or by buying a theology book or by giving somebody else a book so you don't have to do anything at all. That's the default for most Christians, right? I got a book for you. Nobody's gonna read your book when you give them a book. Say something to them first, then give them a book. But Paul doesn't turn there. This is, this is like a surprise. This is like a twist. Through Psalms. That's what he says. We'll talk about the other kinds of songs next week because uh, the passage we'll look at next week, Ephesians 5, 15 through 20, says a very similar thing and I want to save that to talk about those things. I just really want to focus in on, on Psalms. Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Oh man, I can't do that. With Psalms. Anybody can read Chuck a psalm, <laughs> right? So here's the deal. We use, it's the first way we use the psalms, is we use it to teach and admonish one another. Wisdom is connected to the psalms. Like if you're like, well, I'm not that wise, I haven't been a Christian that long, well then shut up. And just read a psalm to somebody. Because the psalms contain wisdom. Wisdom that you can teach and inspire other people with. How often are you asked your opinion on something? Quite a bit, right? Like these people are just like, what do you think I should do? Your opinions probably aren't that good. I just honestly, like, look back at your life, think about all the stupid decisions you've made, and now you're telling somebody else how to do it? I mean, that's, like, honestly, that's how I think when I preach. Like, anything I say that's not biblical is not that important, because who wants my opinion? You may want it. Who really needs my opinion? Nobody. But the Psalms are full of wisdom that we can teach and admonish other people with. How often do you need somebody's advice? How often do you need advice? And you're like, well, I should find a friend. No, you should find a psalm. There's 150 of them. Your friend may talk a lot, but he probably hasn't written down or said that much that's important as, as it's encapsulated in the 150 psalms. 
I think back about my great-grandma teaching me those psalms as I was walking out the door and, and just reciting those to me. She could have gone with a different approach. She could have said, Chad, let's have a conversation about the characteristics of God. Let's talk about how trustworthy God is. I'll point you to a bunch of examples. I'll, I'll, I'll teach you what the New Testament says about how God always will work everything into your good, something I'm sure she also taught me. Um, I, I, I'll talk about the nature and character of God, and I'll look at how the Bible says not to lie and how really these sins that we see in the New Testament are sins because they go against the character of God. And if he says not to lie, then he must be truthful, and he would never let you down because he says that. And I, as a nine-year-old, I'm like, I didn't learn anything from anything you just said. But she opened these psalms that, that could connect to my life. And all she did was have me memorize them. And I don't even know if she did that. I think she just said them to me and I eventually memorized them. And out of that, I was taught and admonished through one of the most difficult times in my entire life. And she didn't even give me the whole psalm. She just gave me a verse and two verses. I mean, three total verses. And I learned, I'll tell you what I learned. I learned that God is trustworthy and that I should trust him. And that is a lesson that I have never, ever left or forgotten. But even more, I've, I've just, I've always lived my life based on that lesson. And all she did, and she was, she was pretty smart. She could have taught me a lot of things, but all she did to my nine-year-old self was just say, hey, here's, here's some verses from Psalms. And I was taught and admonished in, in ways that have forever changed my life. I've changed who I am as a person. I really believe that, uh, that, that you need to be a person that teaches and admonishes. And if you're going to be faithful to the commands of, of the New Testament that God's given us through Paul here in this book of Colossians, then one of the ways that you're going to teach is, is through the Psalms. Until the 18th or 19th century, many branches of the church, they didn't sing anything else. Just the Psalms, just straight up Psalms all the time. Just staying the Psalms. And, and in uh, the church in Rome, which... Big deal biblically, right? Like it's the book that the Romans, the book of Romans is written to this church in Rome. Paul's like desperate to go see the church in Rome so much so that he allows for himself to stay imprisoned uh, and eventually, frankly, die at the hands of the Roman government because he wants to go speak to this church in Rome. Until like the fourth century, they only use psalms for their musical expression of worship. I don't think this is probably because they couldn't find any musicians to write a new psalm. They just believed that these psalms contained wisdom that we need in order to be taught and admonished to live the life that God has called us to live. I've been using uh, for, I don't know, about a year now this, uh, this, this prayer app and it's very liturgical in nature. I actually think it comes out of uh, probably the Episcopal or Church of England, which are pretty much synonymous at this point, um, uh, denomination. Uh, and it, it's very like, here's the psalm of the day, 
here's the New Testament reading of the day, here's uh, a lesson about a guy in church history, Uh, here's the prayers you should pray. And what I've discovered through that, and I didn't grow up like this, growing up, you know, Baptist primarily, and and growing up in, in churches that have, you know, a similar feel to ours, it's like, well, we just, here's, here's how we define prayer. Just talk to God, right? And that's what we say about prayer. But what I found through going through this app is that there's something really profound about praying things that other people have written down because they were experiencing things that I have experienced and things like that. And I, I find words to express things that I didn't know uh, I, I even needed to express sometimes. But the Psalms are the absolute epitome of that, right? Because all of the other prayers of of the saints throughout history are not divinely inspired. But in the 150 chapters of Psalms, we see these prayers and expressions of worships, these poetic songs that are divinely inspired by God. And so there is no better place for us to turn than to the wisdom of the Psalms for ourselves, but for this morning, for our teaching and admonishing of others. In Colossians 3, 16, 17, the last half of 16, and and then verse 17, he says, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. We're gonna come back to that next week. And whatever, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, this word gratitude comes up. Gratitude and thankfulness. And, and here, I think, I think if we're going to be great teachers and admonishers of others through the Psalms, then we can't just read them to somebody. I think that what made my great-grandma so impactful to me as she taught me those is that she lived this life of thanksgiving and when she quoted those psalms to me, I believed that she believed, right? I mean, I, I, I knew that she believed. I mean, this is a woman that after this, uh, later in life when I lived at home for a small time um, after college, uh, she would have a heart attack like every single night because her heart was done. And, and we who lived in the house would wake up and we'd give her her pill. And, and I literally was like praying like at least like four or five nights a week. I was giving her death prayers, just thinking this is it. And she seemed to be in pain, but she just didn't seem to care. <laughs> she seemed very thankful. Uh, oh, thank you for giving me that pill to save my life. It's like, it's like this is a woman that was thankful, not just to us, but more importantly to God. And so, and, and this is one of the problems. If you just walk up to somebody and you just are like, hey, got a psalm for you. That won't teach, it might teach, it will not admonish people to live their lives for God in every situation. But if you truly are letting the message of Christ dwell abundantly within you, then when you quote a psalm, you will quote it with thankfulness and gratitude and people will be admonished. And this is, this is the last part I wanna say about the importance of psalms and teaching and admonishing is that one of the great things about them is they speak in such a real way to people. The Psalms 
are so honest and so raw that nobody can help but connect to them. If you walk up to somebody who's just lost a loved one, whose loved one has just died, and you say, God will work everything for your good. Like, are you serious? You're a jerk. You're a jerk. If you've ever said that to anybody, you should unjerk yourself because that's like nobody wants to hear that, right? Nobody wants to hear that. Or they're in a better place. Yeah, I got it, but they're not here, you know, and so I still hurt. But when you quote a psalm and David's saying things like, God, I weep through the night and I don't feel like you hear me, but I'll trust you anyway. People can take hold of that, right? Like, oh, I get that. I understand that. Part of the reason that that the Psalms admonish us is because they're not just facts that we cannot emotionally connect with and that others who we're teaching and admonishing cannot emotionally connect with. They are emotional and they connect to our deepest, darkest emotions. When you quote the 23rd Psalm to somebody who's just had somebody die, and you say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. It's like, oh, I feel that. I feel it. I feel like I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But that guy didn't fear evil, and so maybe I, I, maybe I can do it too. Maybe I can trust God too. Christian circles are just full of people who say stuff. <laughs> lots and lots of stuff pastors get up and they say just things and it's like are you do do you even say anything from the bible you know like just so much stuff is being said everybody thinks they're an expert now like give people a social platform they all think they're every single person expert expert all around us experts but most people aren't experts when it comes to the deep spiritual things but because of that god has left us the Bible, but he's left us specifically the Psalms that connect with us in every situation and teach and admonish us how to live through and in those situations in the best way. As one author said, the Psalms will shatter to pieces any ideas that being a Christian is a walk in the park. The Psalms show us the wide spectrum of the Christian life from mountaintop experiences to walking in the valley of the shadow of death. We can use the Psalms because they speak to us and for us. And therefore, we should use the Psalms to teach and admonish others. I want to give you three just takeaways. The first is this. There's no sermon series booklet for this series. It'll be the only one this year that that we don't give away a booklet at the beginning of the series. And what I want you to do during the next almost 30 days, 30 sounds better than about the 28 days that you have, but 30 days, it's about five psalms a day. I want you to read through the entirety of the psalms. Let's do that as a church. Let's read them. I mean, some of you have probably never read those. Oftentimes we read them kind of with the rest of our Bible reading. Uh, But I want to, I just... I just want to see us read through them, like read them. You you can't teach and admonish with them if you don't 
know any of them, right? If you don't at least pick a favorite one, you could pick a favorite one, just make it your go-to, but I mean, just go through and read all 150 Psalms. Some of them are really short. You could bust right through them. The second thing we're going to do this month is, is that our monthly dinners, which I hope all of you have signed up for, every one of you should go to a monthly dinner. If you want this to be a church that is connected, that is unified, that seems like it's one body, which we do feel that way, but if we want to continue to feel that way as we grow, uh, then, then you need to be a part of these dinners. There's no excuse, no good excuse to not be a part of the dinner. Um, you need to be a part of these dinners. And this month, what we're going to do is we're going to ask everybody who's coming to these dinners to bring a psalm. And we're doing that in hopes that people will be encouraged, but also hopefully people will be taught and admonished through the psalm that you share. And it's a a very practical way that if you're like, man, that's scary to just say a psalm to somebody. Well, this is the perfect environment to get your feet wet and to share one psalm, you know, and say, "Look look what God has said and look what David said to God in the book of Psalms. And then this, this other thing is, like I said before, we offer tons of advice. And I just want you to think about maybe this morning, maybe this week, somebody that that you are speaking into their lives, right? Like you're, it's not some stranger that you want to speak into their lives or somebody you wish you could. This is like, think of a person who's looking to you for guidance or advice or hope or encouragement or whatever. Think about somebody. And then I want you to find a psalm that you can share with them. Stop saying all your stuff that you say and find a psalm that actually speaks into their lives in a unique, profound, important way. And so the big three applications, I know they're very much practical, more practical than I usually am, in fact, but, but read through the psalms in the next 28 days. You can have 30 if you want to. Uh, go to the monthly dinner and come with the psalm, which the dinner leaders will, will remind you of and tell you about. And then find a psalm that that you can share with somebody whose life you're already speaking into. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that that teaches and admonishes through the psalms. I just pray we'd be a church that that takes the psalms seriously, Lord. You know, really frankly, God, until uh, kind of thinking about this series, I been a person who kind of likes the psalms when things are really bad but haven't really thought about the importance of psalms how they've been used so powerfully in in christian history and even before christian history and i i pray that i would lead our church in in a way that that causes to be a church of of the psalms and i pray that our church would be that lord God, I see these conversations that take place on Sundays after church. It's one of my favorite parts about our church is that so many people are here talking and encouraging each other and sometimes crying with each other uh, long after uh, we're done and long after I have the patience to keep waiting for people to leave at the entrance door, God. Um, And I pray that Psalms would become a part of those conversations when we email each other, God, when we share life together, I pray that the Psalms would become a part of those conversations because we're taking seriously this command to teach and admonish in all wisdom, Lord. We are so often not wise. Our hearts can be so wicked and deceiving, God, but your Psalms speak for us, God, and I pray we let them speak for us in our conversations. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen.